This is the Sarah Swain Show, where we talk all things bold and courageous business and have big and free conversations with brave humans. Nothing is off the table here, so get ready to be moved, challenged, empowered, and propelled into action. Oh my God, I have the one and only Sunit Kaur here today. Those of you who are familiar with my platform are probably also familiar with Sunit's, but in case there's folks listening to this episode that don't know who you are, Sunit, do you want to give a quick intro? Sure. Um, I'm Sunit. A lot of people know me as Sunit Speaks on Instagram. I guess I don't want to say I'm new to the activism world because I'm not new to it, but I'm new to a lot of people now. I think most recently I'm probably best known for my true trolling of Trudeau. So. <laughs> I think I think that's when I started to see your platform really start growing is when uh, you started to provide us with a little bit of comedic <laughs> relief in the in the in amongst the chaos that we're all trying to navigate right now. You're definitely a place that I go to to just be like Okay, I just need to laugh for a second. And as I was saying to you just before we popped on, um, I was laughing, but also simultaneously rolling my eyes because you just tweeted another Trudeau tweet where he was thanking our journalists for doing such a great job at always providing truth. <laughs> I know. It's like, is this even real life? What is happening? Everything's going to be fine. So listen, um, so you say you're not new to activism. Um, and you're you're in a season of life right now where trolling Trudeau is is where you are doing God's work. Um, what happened for you though? Like, did you just wake up one morning and be like, "I think our prime minister is a problem," and I'm going to go solve this on Twitter? Like, where did you start in all this? Oh, it goes way way before that, Sarah. How long do we have? <laughs> I was going to say, like, are we talking decades, years? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you kind of the Coles notes of how I got to where I am. Okay. Um, and then if you want to dive back into any point, you can. So basically, I was raised in a, a traditional East Indian home. Okay. I grew up in Alberta. I know you're an Alberta girl too. So am I. <laughs> um, my parents were immigrants from India. And, you know, that generation, like my mom had just come here from India. They they use holistic remedies for everything. So growing up, I was not really exposed to a ton of pharmaceuticals, like that kind of thing. Like when it comes to holistic living, that mm -hmm. was already kind of, I, I was already on that path a little bit. I got my undergraduate degree in health sciences at the U of A and kind of, you know, went on my life. Like I wasn't, um, other than that kind of part of my upbringing, there's like nothing else really to highlight other than I was super into health and wellness. And then, um, eventually fast forward, I ended up, uh, working in the pharmaceutical industry and I, I know, Sarah, you have a little bit of a background in that too. So I was actually working for a pharmaceutical company and I spent almost a decade there. And that is when my eyes really started to open. <laughs> I and, bet. Yeah. And that misalignment. So that's why I shared with you how I was raised because eventually it got to a point where it was like, hmm, well, you know, I don't know that I would be lining up to take this medication that I'm trying to get doctors to prescribe on my behalf, but okay. You know, um, I, uh, and then in there, I also had children and, um, you know, we, we went like, we struggled with infertility. So I kind of went the IVF route. And so I was exposed to more of the medical system through that. And it was just a slow opening of the eyes at that time in my life. And then 
Um, in 2015, my dad was diagnosed with uh, terminal brain cancer. And for the first time in my working life, I actually took uh, a significant amount of time off work to, you know, I, I live in BC. I went to Edmonton to really spend a lot of time with my my family. I had two little, my boys were th- only three at the time. I have twins. Wow. Wow. And um, I just went there to, you know, be there, be in Edmonton, be with my mom, be with my dad, support them through the chemo, the surgery, the radiation, and had some time off of work finally for the first time in a long time. And I think because I was outside of it and dealing with my dad and kind of became like the receiving end of that, like having Mm -hmm. to deal with the doctors, having to navigate, okay, what are the medications? What, what trials have these medications been in? What's, you know, what are the outcomes? What are the endpoints? And really realizing that there was a close mindedness to how we were going to treat him. I was diving down every rabbit hole, trying to, you know, let's try this. Let's try that. Let's try everything. And the doctors seemed so hesitant, even though it was like, he's going to die anyway. Why wouldn't we try this? You know, you bring up nutrition, you bring up diet, like they don't want to have anything to do with any of that. So for me, it was kind of like everything kind of culminated all around at, at the same time within that kind of span of Um, me having my own kids. And by the way, you know, side note, also diving down the vaccine rabbit hole. When I started to, you know, you have children, you start Mm -hmm. to dive down rabbit holes, you never thought you'd dive down, Um, kind of going that route, also working in pharma, then my dad being diagnosed, it was like a few years of just like, becoming really disenchanted with that system and kind of realizing that I was a part of it. And I didn't want to be a part of it anymore. So really, I I think it was like a few weeks before my dad passed away. I just like picked up the phone, quit my job, decided I was going to go back and do something with holistic nutrition and kind of just really, you know, took a leap. And I I know you're, you can relate. I've listened Mm -hmm. to a few of your episodes as well. Um, your interviews with other people sounds like we've kind of went down a similar path that way where it's like, finally, you're like, okay, I'm done. I, I, I need to do something else, even though it's scary and you've completely no, I mean, don't get me wrong. We know that industry is very lucrative. I was, mm-hmm. you know, I was making good money. We were living, living nice. Right. To leave it was a huge financial kind of like, okay, we're going to do this, but it just felt right. And so anyway, I quit my job and, and that was, um, summer of 2016. So, you know, almost six years ago now. And I just go head first into the online world. I took Marie Forleo's B school. I launched my podcast. I co-authored on a couple books. I started a blog and I was very much in the, um, you know, mindset space, motherhood and mindset. And then then I just evolved. So if anybody goes back and listens to my podcast, it used to be called Modern Mommy Prep School. And it's kind of, it's gone through a few iterations of, you know, as I grow, so Mm -hmm. does my show, so does my brand. And I very much come into a place, um, I got certified as a functional nutrition practitioner and really got into like, you know, essential oils and CBD and like all this other stuff and treating people naturally and you know, became a health coach. And obviously now I'm a mom, they're, they're 10 now. So I have been slowly kind of, you know, leading up to this place. It feels like over a really long time. Mm-hmm. And then boom, two years ago, COVID hits. And like, I right away, just 
my spidey sense is sort of tingling and, and we can go down that path if you want to, um, as to like what I was really seeing, but that's what it's been for me now, this last two years, it's like, well, I already had those several years of leading up to this point mm-hmm. with the little taps on the shoulder mm-hmm. and then boom, like COVID started. And ever since then, it's just been like one aha after another yes. about our government, our media, like I it's thought everywhere. I was, a, yeah, I thought I was awake before, but no, I was like diet awake, you know, like that diet woke. I <laughs> like, hear you. I was kind of awake. I knew about the industry. I knew about vaccines and kids. I knew there was some shady stuff going on, but I didn't realize the depth of it until I yes. super, super dove in two years ago. And then the rest is history, like my disdain for Trudeau and like all of that stuff. My That just fell naturally, right? After yeah. <laughs> Because, hey, just to full full disclosure here, six, when was the first election? 2015? Yeah. Like, I voted for him back then. Okay, oh, so, yeah, I know. I'm yeah, sorry. The number but of I'm confessions on real. my podcast these days, I appreciate, I appreciate all your honesty. <laughs> I mean, like, that's all I can do is just be yeah. honest and say, yeah. listen, and that, that actually was probably also the first election, I think like federal election that I voted in. Don't kill me, but I don't know. I listen, I, I get it. I, I had the same conversation with kid Carson because he, he made the same confession too. when I was chatting with him on his show and um, I get it. Like I totally get it when, when we're coming off um, an era of what was portrayed in the media of like the old, the old boys club, this fresh young man comes into the mix and says all the right things. Like I completely understand why, why he got into power in the first place. He was beautifully set up from a PR standpoint. There's a couple of things I want to go back to though, in your, in that you mentioned, um, the align, the misalignment you were feeling in your pharmaceutical career. Um, mm-hmm. I can relate to this because, mm-hmm. uh, it was, I was in the retail pharmacy side of things. So I was actually working in like the stores and the pharmacies, uh, as opposed to on the, on the sales side of things. And, uh, all I can remember is feeling more disjointed in my life than ever before. And, and my mind at that point was really only able to kind of come to the conclusion that, uh, traditional work wasn't for me, but now that yeah, I fast forward several years and I look back on that time in my life, I mean, it's clear as day why that particular job that I had in that particular industry was the thing that squeezed me and forced me onto a new life path. Do you think that with your experience, there was something to be said about the, the industry that you were in specifically that kind of was a catalyst for you to start carving your own path? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, and I always kind of give this, you know, kind of disclaimer that I don't think pharma as a whole is bad. Mm -hmm. Like I believe that there are good people that work in that industry like Mm -hmm. myself. I believe that modern medicine is a beautiful thing in Mm -hmm. many instances. And the drugs that I sold while I was working for that company, like I still to this day will, I won't mention what company I work for and I won't bash them because I, I learned a lot there and I, you know, on the positive man, I learned a lot there. Mm -hmm. I made some lifelong friendships there. Um, and the drugs I sold, some of them were life-saving drugs. Okay. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, 
he does give you kind of a glimpse into like, oh, so this is what happens behind the scenes. Right. This is why my doctor prescribed this medication instead of this medication. Um, And so you do start to feel that kind of like, oh, this isn't as um, pure. Yeah. I I don't know if that's the right word, but like, and I'll I'll give this example. I've, I've, I've shared this before, but, you know, I mentioned that I went through this fertility journey. And this is kind of what sparked it for me, Sarah, almost was mm-hmm. um, meeting with our specialist who would handle our care. Um, and he knew I was in the industry. Like, you know, we kind of chatted about that and he fully knew what I did for a living. And I remember meeting with him, with my husband, and we were getting started to kind of the, get the whole process started. And he was mentioning that I could take this drug or this drug, like I had to, you know, you take all these medications and I would need to take in this category of medications. I just pick one of these and I was like, Oh, okay. So which, which one would you recommend? Like they both seem very similar. And he kind of like laughed, but Mm. he was like joking, but not joking. And he said, Oh, just whoever brought me the best lunch the day before. That's what I recommend. Jeez. And, you know, I know he said that to me because he knew I was in the industry, right? Right. So he was like poking fun. Like he was just making a joke like, oh yeah, you know, but on the inside, I remember thinking to myself, is this really how they decide? Yeah. It makes you wonder. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, and that was the big aha for me in the industry is people don't realize how much money is spent on just paying for a doctor's time. Like yes. people will say, Oh, you know, like they, they, people hint that, Oh, you're bribing doctors or you're paying them money. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work like that in Canada anyway. Um, you can't just pay a doctor and be like, Hey, here's this much money. Will you prescribe my drug? It doesn't right. work like that. Right. But it is about, can I have some of your precious time? Can I buy you lunch so we can sit and talk? Can I pay for you to go to this <clears throat> medical education event? Um, it's their time that is valuable. And when we get in front of them repeatedly and become their source for information, that is a conflict of interest. Yes. And, and that is how it works. Yes. And that is what for me was kind of the big aha over mm-hmm. time. It was kind mm-hmm. of like, man, there sure is a lot, like, not only am I paid well, and I have a company car and everything's paid for, but look at how much money they have just to buy a doc, you know, get a half an hour with a doctor, sometimes 15 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, if you're buying them food, um, that there was a lot of monetary expenditure. And that is, I think what kind of had me going like, like, whoa, yeah. yeah. I relate to this and, and I'm glad you brought up the importance um, of Western medicine and uh, the respect that we need to have for the industry as a whole, because we can't deny that there are life-saving things that the pharmaceutical industry has brought to us. We can't deny that Western medicine has um, done all sorts of wonders for human life and healing. And, and that the um, black and white of this conversation is so frustrating online, right? When you try and speak up about something, you automatically get dumped into this, you know, science denier or anti-vaxxer or anti-pharma type of 
label and then it shuts down the whole conversation. So I'm yeah. with you. I, I understand the need and the importance of this industry. I understand uh, the need and the importance of healthcare in general. Um, but again, similar experience to you uh, being on, I would say, kind of the next couple stages down the road process of pharmacy uh, than you were. You were working yeah. with the doctors. I was more on the patient side of things when they're actually being prescribed. Uh, and being someone who audited that process is uh, how my eyes started to open, where I started to think, oh my word, there is a lot of money involved in this. And, and I just started doing these calculations in my mind. And I started to feel a little bit funny in, you know, regional meetings where uh, the disappointing factor in a report was script counts. So prescriptions being down. Um, and I thought, well, isn't is that a good thing? Like, does that mean that less people need drugs? Like, I don't understand. Um, and then I realized that, you know, they get paid for every prescription that they pump out and there's, there's kickbacks from every province that they prescribe in and the money, the money, the money. And I would get so caught up in this during like family dinners. I became that person. I'm like, this is crazy. Like if you just follow the money, uh, we have to start asking what the intentions are here. Are, are we looking at keeping people sick in order to keep money pumping? Or are we looking at, um, providing people with proper care in order for them to no longer be dependent on healthcare or pharmacare. Uh, so very eerily similar uh, situation to you that also got my mind turning just with systems in general, I would say years ago um, and kind of seeing them like, this is, this is a little sketchy and, and I don't really know what the integrity of this function over here looks like. And I started to feel very uneasy about things, but nowhere near the magnitude of where I am today. So again, sounding very similar two years ago, um, obviously if you're someone who was already in the space of starting to question things and starting to wonder about, you know, particular systems and what we're actually doing here and where all this money is going, what was it about the pandemic for you early 2020 that really kicked you into the next level of, of looking into things? Well, that year <clears throat> and the years leading up to it, I was very heavily involved in the vaccine conversation around um, requirements for children to enter school, not only in Canada, but I was also heavily invested in what was happening in the U.S. because I know how the U.S. goes, typically so goes Canada. Mm -hmm. um, California was a big part of that. I'm not sure if you're aware of, there are some crazy bills that, uh, I mean, the pharmaceutical industry lobby in California is just insane. And so I had been following that story very closely um, with Bill SB 276, and then there was, sorry, 277 and then 276. So what they did was they first required, you know, all children to be vaccinated before they enter school, which um, is not, by the way, people think it's mandatory in Canada. It's not. That is a big misconception. Uh, yes. It's a big misconception that they, they want us to have that, right? They right. want people to think it's mandatory. It's not mandatory here. Um, but in California, they bill uh, SB 277 made it so it was mandatory. And then two years later, they brought in another bill to remove medical exemptions. So Oof. 
no doctor would be allowed to even give you an exemption. Um, that was a huge story, which again, a lot of people just didn't know about. So I had been following that super closely. The bill did end up passing. So California is like just one of the craziest places to be, right? Like you either vaccinate your kids or you, you homeschool or you move essentially. Um, they literally had kids who had been injured already by vaccines in a wheelchair, speaking to these like congressmen or senators or whatever they're called, um, begging them to please not pass this bill. Because if you pass it, this means I'm going to have to take a vaccine again. No doctor is going to be able to write a medical exemption. And they still pass the bill. Oh, my God. So that was I was a fresh on the heels of that and kind of like, you know, leading into 2020. So I that the vaccine that I that was t- top of mind for me. Mm-hmm. about just the corruption with the government and like how is this possible having worked in the industry again how, how like man um i i didn't work in vaccines so i kind of politically saw a different side of it where it's like you actually have to prove that your drug is safe and effective before it comes on the market mm-hmm. um you can't just be forcing everyone to take it so vaccines definitely have their own unique set of rules so that also was troubling to me Mm-hmm. And then in, well, you know, so I, that's top of mind for me. So that was my kind of headspace with everything I was, You're I was kind of already looking at the world with yes. through those lens to begin with. Right. Yeah. The political thing was just starting to enter my mind where it's like, wow, governments are really captured by these people. Like, okay, what's it going to be mm-hmm. like in Canada? My kids were already in school at that point, but I was scared that that was going to come here. So, you know, we were arranging meetings with our local MPs and MLAs. Um, and I was a part of that and had never been politically inclined before. So I had just started to get into this place of like understanding the role that, um, you know, I play as a citizen with my own kind of like where everything's going to go. Um, so, and of course, understanding the backside too of pharma and how even in Canada, some of the roles that we have in the pharmaceutical industry that liaise with the government. So I kind of had like all angles. And then in February, 2020, I remember uh, my girlfriend sent me this video of something coming out of China where people are like dropping dead on the street. And she's Mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, this is so scary. Like what, you know, what is this? And right away I, I saw that. And I was like, that's, bizarre people don't die like that Mm -hmm. like just in the middle of the street you just drop dead Mm -hmm. and and I thought it was bizarre that these were coming straight out of China because China if they don't want us to if they don't want us to see stuff we don't see it yep if we if they want us to see it we see it they'll let us like we know that right so Mm -hmm. it's like why are we seeing this coming out of China it just felt so staged so fake and so I already, my spidey senses were tingling immediately. And then within like, you know, at first I was like, okay, it's nothing. This is just a scare. And then when it started to infiltrate the Western world and it's coming in, you know, it's coming into Canada and the U S they're starting to shut stuff down. That's when, because I had been so in this from the beginning with the vaccine thing, um, right away, I was like, they are going to try and push a vaccine for this. So you like, knew like right away, you're right away. Yeah. I was like, yep. there's something very bizarre going on here. And just, you know, no, you don't need to wear a mask. Okay. Yes. Now you do need to wear a mask. <laughs> um, you know, our business, you know, my husband owns a, a business which was shut down because we're considered non-essential, even though we're, you know, we're 
healthcare providers, alternative healthcare providers, but were not considered essential. Like just mm-hmm. every little decision they made, the backpedaling, the back and forth, the, I remember Sarah, like it's in the beginning. It was like, they yeah. would say something that sounded so insane and yes. you would laugh and then it actually would happen. Yes. Like, you know, you start hearing stories about like the distancing, like stand six feet apart, put, stand on these stickers of the grocery in the grocery aisle, like six feet apart. Like why, when you move, does your air move with you? Yeah. Like and- I'm, it makes zero sense. And then it was like, Oh, you go into a restaurant, you have to put a mask on till your table, but then you got to take it off. I lit when I heard that, I thought it was a meme. Like, I'm like, this is hilarious. Yeah, it was almost like satirical. Like, it's such a joke. You're wearing yeah. a mask from walking in the door to your table, but once you sit down, oh, you're okay. Like, it just got in more and more insane. I never believed it for a second. But I That's, think it's because that was my my mindset for the years leading up to that point was so kind of learning and absorbing with this specific topic. Exactly. Vaccines, lobbying, government. I suddenly was kind of like putting all the dots together. Yeah. It's almost like, because there, there's a lot of obvious, and, and I understand why, but there's a lot of fuss out there about why people can't see what's happening and and why people aren't waking up. And so many people ask me to, uh, you know, pinpoint that one thing that made me go, whoa, uh, and all of a sudden be able to see what was happening. But uh, much like your story, I believe that everybody's life experience and everybody's work experience, their education, um, their belief systems, their religion, their social circles, the people who have been Uh, influential in their lives or who they see as authorities, like all of this matters in such a significant way in order for people to be able to allow themselves to open their eyes, Um, which is why I think some people saw this coming like a decade ago. Uh, Mm -hmm. Other people like you right from day one, you're like, "Uh, uh, uh." and for people like me, it was like a slow bleed until uh, I would say like fall, winter of 2020. And I remember seeing uh, something of yours shared back then uh, because one of my best friends was way into the rabbit hole right from day one, just like you. I thought she had lost her friggin' mind and uh, she had shared something. I'm like, gosh, because I, I had remembered you from a, a collaborative book that you'd done with uh, YGT and, and mm-hmm. Sabrina is a good friend of mine. So you're kind of already on my radar. I was like, wow, I'm like, I'm like, Sunit is talking about this stuff too. And I was like, this is getting so strange to me that like, why can't I see what everybody else is talking about? Like, why are they using the term awake or, or why, why is, why are they referring to people like me as, as being asleep? And i like, it sat with me. I'm like, what on earth? Even though everything that would, like you said, everything that was coming out about the pandemic, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Um, and none of it made sense. What do you think, uh, now? So now we're, we're gosh, over two years into this nuttiness and there's still people who are hell bent on, uh, condemning people like us, uh, don't, don't want to, uh, have people like us have the same rights or freedoms as they do. I don't want us to have access to things like healthcare or uh, access to public spaces. And they're still at this point over two years into this 
literal circus. I mean, at this point, I think on how on earth could anyone still be buying this? I mean, this is at two years at this point, we're not still, we're not fully aware of what's happening here. What do you think is so difficult for folks? Um, and I, I, see, I see some of the comments on your posts and, and you get knocked around sometimes, or at least they try to. What What is it about people right now that seem to want to cling to the fear of the pandemic when there's so many uh, of us who are on complete opposite end of the spectrum of like, trust yourselves, guys, live your life, allow yourself to be free, take care of yourself, take care of your body, take care of your family and live your life. What is it with this group of people that just isn't there? <laughs> That's the million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> I was hoping you'd have the answer to it. You're asking me? <laughs> well, okay. Well, first of all, I, I just want to address something you said about your own awakening. And I love that your story is a little different than mine because you, I'm so lucky I get to have you on my show. We're going to record that in a few days. And I mm-hmm. want to dive deeper into that because, you know, and kind of starting to answer your question a little bit, I still have hope that there are people maybe who are, who will connect in with you, right? They'll, yeah. they'll listen to your story and kind of go, okay, yeah, maybe I have been feeling that way too. Maybe I'm mm-hmm. two years a little late to the party, but so I still have hope. So, you know, I, I, I can't wait to dive into your awakening and what you think took you, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not so long, but you know, it's longer than me and look yeah. at your background, look at your history. You've been very political already. You've been in the pharmaceutical world. Yeah. Um, so I can't wait to dive into that. And so I still have hope that, you know, somebody will listen to that podcast or, Somebody will see something you share or that I share and kind of ask questions. Even Mm -hmm. now, I go back and forth between having extreme hope and just being so disgusted by how many people are not awake. Um, Depends on the day. Yep. Same. Honestly. (laughs) Depends on the hour, right? Mm -hmm. But I think at the very core, Sarah, human beings are, we like to belong We like to feel like we're part of the greater kind of collective of doing the right thing, um, doing what everybody else is doing, even if deep down inside there's something tugging at us saying this Mm -hmm. doesn't feel right. Sometimes it's safer to just go along with it, even if you know it's wrong, than it is to speak out like that is scarier. And again, I can kind of go back to, you know, when I was researching vaccines for kids, right? I just remember, like, I just started off as an innocent new mom who, by the way, researched everything else when I was pregnant, car seats, baby monitors, this, that, <laughs> how, to lead, how to introduce my kids to solid food. For some bizarre reason, I didn't research what they would be injected with repeatedly throughout their young life until the time came that it was time to do that um, and started to dive into that and realized much like now, it's very much like, oh, why are you asking that? No, no, just, just do, just do this. Don't ask questions, just do it. Mm -hmm. And I remember at that time beginning to feel a little bit like, I mean, I was not always as confident in my choices as I am now. And so this is a lesson to any woman out there who's a mother who maybe early on you do feel like, okay, well, I'm supposed to be an advocate for my children. I'm supposed to be their voice. I'm supposed to be this strong mama bear, but I'm scared to go against the grain because everyone's just going to rip me to shreds. Mm -hmm. 
that is a real thing. Or there's, I would imagine there's also an extreme fear there that how could you as a new mother know more about how to keep your child healthy than the doctor? That too, that too. Mm -hmm. I have often talked on my own show about how we are disempowered from the day we are born ourselves to always be looking over there. What's that person doing? What, what, what grades did Johnny get that were better than you? Um, What are the neighbors doing? What does your doctor say? What does your mother say? What does your mother-in-law say? Like, We're always taught to look outwards, not within. And so Mm -hmm. then naturally, when you become a mom, um, you, they tell you, we know better than you, you should do this, you should do that. And if your gut, if you haven't practiced and worked on strengthening that gut instinct, and really being confident with following through on how you feel and really being aligned, man, you're going to have a hard time as as a parent. Um, and I remember like being in the hospital, um, with my newborn twin babies and one of them had a little bit of a complication. So we were there for almost a week while he was in the NICU and they were like, well, you know, we can't, um, let you go. We can't discharge you until, um, you give your babies a bath. And I was like, that's weird. Why? Okay. And, And they were like, yeah, it's just like hospital policy, you know, but I, from having done a little bit of research had learned that Babies don't need a bath, especially not when they're first born. That stuff that they're covered in is protective for them Mm -hmm. and very good for their immune system and helps to build their gut health. And, you know, of course they wipe all that off when the baby is born, but it's best to, you know, that whole old adage of like letting kids get dirty and be dummy and playing in the dirt. Like there's something to that when they're born too. You're not supposed to bathe babies right away, like, and sterilize them. Like they just came out of being inside of you for nine months. Yeah. Why are we all of a sudden trying to to get it all off? Yes. Let them be protected with what they're born with. Like God doesn't make mistakes, you know? So, um, so I remember just thinking to myself, well, I had, read a lot about like babies don't actually need to be bathed that often, especially not when they're first born in my head. I'm thinking this, I didn't say this to the nurses, but it didn't feel right to me. It felt wrong. I I don't know how else to explain it. I didn't want to bathe them. And so what, what did I do? Well, I could have, you know, I could have just said something. I could have not said something. Like I spent a whole day pondering what I was going to do. And at the end of the day, I just thought to myself, man, if I already can't stand up for my babies, we're still in the hospital. Like, what's it going to be like when I get out of here? I'm going to tell them, no, I'm not bathing them. They're fine. And I did. I used my most big girl confident voice that I had. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm I'm fine bathing them at home when we're ready. Like, I'm not going to bathe them here. And that was it. They were like, okay. Wow. But do you think though, the, for the woman who wouldn't have been able to use her voice, whether it's fear of being judged, whether it's fear, like, is there something I don't know? Do they know better than me? You think about how that one example can be applied across so many other situations. And then you get to the point where it's like, who's actually mothering the child and making the decisions. And this is what I see. Um, cause don't, I would say the majority of, of my girlfriends and acquaintances, business colleagues, connections are mothers. Yeah. Uh, so I, I draw on their experiences and, and my observations of them, um, in what their experience has been like throughout the last two years. 
of feeling as though they are losing their ability to uh, be the primary source of decision making for their own children. And it seems just like what you were saying, um, that it's just kind of set up this way. Uh, where there's just a, a natural response to look to the doctor or look to the medical team or look to this person or that person or this mom or this group or this community, as opposed to being able to, to flex. You mentioned like gut confidence, that that mother's intuition and how much of that has been so washed away um, from an outsider looking into the world of motherhood it feels very assembly line-ish of what uh, a mother mother's experience is from that point of conception all the way all of a sudden they're back home um, and no one's really talking about what went down in the hospital if they'd happened to go to a hospital for their birth. And then they're just kind of ushered along into this um, world of expectations of them, uh, whether they're able to stand up against them or withstand them ends up being the ultimate question and whether or not that mother's going to have it within her to be that advocate for the child or whether it is just easier to go with the mom's group or do what the doctor said or kind of stifle that gut feelings. You don't want to be seen as the crazy one. You don't want to be seen as the anti-vax mom. You don't want to be seen as the hippie and whatever other dialogue has been just completely pummeled into our minds. Um, have you, so you had this first, you know, right out of the gates opportunity to advocate for your babies. You're like, no, I'm just going to bathe them when I think it's time to bathe them. Thank you very much. We're going home. Now, fast forward. How old are your, are your littles now? They're 10. They're 10. Okay. So yeah. going into this around eight, eight or so, um, what was your mama bear gut telling you? If you've got this background in, um, advocacy for, uh, you know, children's vaccines and the choices that we should be able to have around them, uh, what was what was Sunit the mom thinking at the beginning of 2020? Mm -hmm. um, before I answer that, I just want to say I think you just answered your own last question. You know, when we talk about what is happening right now, why are so many people still not seeing what's happening? It's exactly what you just said, which is, or what we both just talked about, which is it's just. We have been set up, our system has been set up. We've been programmed, many of us, in a way that has led to this point where and we, we don't care, even realize. Yeah, we don't even realize where we care more what someone else thinks than what we think, where yeah. we would rather go along with the crowd, even if we suspect something might be wrong, because mm -hmm. that's easier than actually saying what we think is wrong. Yeah. And I guess it depends on like what you hold of highest value in your personal life. And if, if you have, uh, you know, social acceptance uh, or that sense of belonging as a core pillar in your life, then that's going to supersede just about every other thing that you do. Exactly. Exactly. And being a mother. So getting back to your question about, you know, I think this is huge too. It's like when you are a mother, it is very easy to say, oh my God, I would do anything for my kids. Like, you know, you hear all the typical mom things, but when you are called to task, okay, mm -hmm. like that is when 
really the test comes of your motherhood. And I look around and I see so many women who, when push comes to shove, you know, they, they will step up and do something that feels uncomfortable. Like they're still sending their kids to school in masks, even though they don't want to, Mm -hmm. because they would rather suck it up, do that, feel immense guilt, hate that they're doing it rather than speak up and say, I don't agree with this or no, my child will not wear a mask. That is safer than speaking up. And that means that they, again, value more going with the crowd, caring what people think. Mm -hmm. And we've been conditioned that way. Mm -hmm. We have. Right. So for me as a mother, that was my, literally my primary concern immediately. Like, you know, what the, the March, I think it was like 11th or 12th or whatever the date was that they basically called an official, like it's a pandemic. We're shutting everything down. Cancel. Like we had a spring break trip planned, cancel your trips, this and that. And the other thing, and I've told this story many times, but, um, and I did a whole podcast episode about it too, about how we didn't cancel our trip. We went anyway, like we left March 14th. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we went for 10 days, literally in the middle of like, everything's being shut down. Our business is being shut down. But I just had such a, like, I knew what was happening. And mm-hmm. I said to my husband, if we don't go on this trip, I bet you we're not going to be traveling for a while. And so like, we, you know, we go to Mexico a few times a year. We love our trips. We love our travel. And we knew we probably wouldn't be traveling again. So we went anyway. And the whole time we were there, um, you know, you started getting word, okay, the schools are shutting down and this and that my kids were in school at the time. And I just started thinking, okay, so we're going to be homeschooling for the time being, but how long is this going to last? And I had all these thoughts in my head about like, how is this going to affect my kids? Yeah. And when we got back and, you know, it was kind of a little wishy-washy at first, when they said, okay, we're opening schools back up again, um, you know, for the fall or whatever, our, our, our timing here is a little bit different with the school that we're at. So the kids were actually able to go back for a few weeks before they were you know, done for the summer. But I just remember thinking to myself, this, what's happening right now is not going away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. If I send my kids to school, it's not so much like any of the other stuff. Like I knew the whole vaccine thing and all that would take some time. Like if they're going to push all that. So it wasn't even that. And at that time they weren't even requiring masks, but for me, it was, what are the conversations that are going to be having being had amongst the children? Right. What are the vibes that the teachers are going to be putting out? Mm -hmm. Um, That's when I started to really think about the fact that our kids are away from us all day long, being penetrated, like the way we were Mm -hmm. to follow the crowd. Don't ask too many questions, like all of that. Right. Yeah. I started having this kind of like full 360 moment where I realized that my schooling, my own programming, my own indoctrination, like a lot of it, it came from our education system. Yes. And lucky for me, I just happened to be placed in certain situations in life where I was able to step enough out of that to start questioning things, mm-hmm. but not everybody does. And now I start thinking about my kids. Well, even if 
I love their school, even if I love their teachers, what are the conversations that are being had? What's it going to be like when the kids have to be six feet apart? Right. <laughs> and they want to hug a friend and the teacher mm-hmm. jumps in. No, 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 you, you can't touch your friend. And you see videos of that all over the place, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. So for me immediately, you know, I've always prided myself on being the mom that prioritizes my children's emotional health, because now more than ever, we have this crazy oh. time where it's like my five-year-old mm-hmm. has anxiety. What? Your five-year-old has anxiety? Yeah. What the? How is that even possible? Yeah. And so for me, it was like, we are creating anxiety ridden little humans just by the very nature of how we are as a society. And so I've always kind of like keeping my home environment very stable and positive and upbeat. And like, that's always been really important to me. And so I just started having all these thoughts, Sarah, about like, okay, if they go back to school, what are the conversations being had? What about the kids who are, who are scared? Um, I can say everything I want to them at home as their Mm -hmm. mom, but they're still spending more waking hours with those people. Yeah. And so I made the big, bold decision to put everything on hold, put my business on hold, put everything and homeschool my kids, even though I never, ever thought I would be the mom that would do that. Wow. Um, I just said, I can't. I can't pull them out and wait for when school is going to be shut down again, or, you know, every day having to worry, what are the conversations being had, the indoctrination that might be happening. And I honestly, it's one of the kind of bravest things I've ever done because you talk to anybody who feels this way. It's like the idea of having to educate your children for some people is so overwhelming, myself included, where I was just like, I, I never imagined that I would ever do that. And then now all of a sudden, like I was talking before, and now I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Would you do anything yeah. for your kids? Yes. It's another huge example of, uh, do I know enough? Am I good enough? Will I be able to figure this out? Am I going to mess up my kids? Do I, do I know enough to be able to do the right thing for them? And you have all this dialogue going on in your mind, but still- yeah it came back to that gut confidence. It's Um, always knowing that my number one job role priority wish as a mother is to do right by my kids. Mm -hmm. When you make a decision to have children, that is a huge commitment to taking this little fresh new human and giving it all the experiences that it deserves to grow into that person that we need on this planet in the future. It's mind blowing. Like it, my, like, my husband and I don't have, have kids and, and it's still a, a discussion. We don't know if we will or won't, but that is something that I do not take lightly. Exactly. It's this, a huge like, responsibility. It's huge. And you have these little lives. And, and I love that you brought the education thing up. We're probably going to have to do a whole other episode just on that alone. But it, when when we really think about where if I look back all the way into my earliest, most impressionable times, my core memories are of my time in school. Mm-hmm. Um, when I look all the way back to preschool, elementary school, like when I recall, it's like, there's so many memories, but like so much of them are uh, rooted in either my school experience or with my friends groups or, or things like that. So recognizing that we're now in an era of uh, you use the word indoctrination and um, it is past the point in my opinion of extremism in mm. in our schools now where uh, 
it, the open dialogue and, and respect for opinions or different points of views, um, it's really not a safe place for impressionable minds to be able to encourage free thought or to feel safe in free thought. And uh, the the conversations that the littles are subjected to, um, and, and sometimes it can only take you could have 12 amazing teachers in a school system, and it could just take one who wants to shape the mind of a child, and they will do it. So I've, I've often thought of this myself. If I did have kids, what the heck would I do? And all I know is that I, I know I, I wouldn't be able to let them go into a public school system. That's all I know. I don't know what the heck that would mean, because that is my fear that without uh, proper attention on what's occurring in our school systems right now. Uh, we're we're essentially continuing this cycle that we were in ourselves until we snapped out of it. And why knowing, especially when when you're someone who has kind of woken up and you come up from underneath the water of the world and you go, oh my god, and you start seeing things on such a, a different level. Um, and, and from a different lens, knowing how hard it was to break out of our thought processes and our beliefs in the way that the world works and um, trust in, you know, governing bodies or perception of authority and uh, perception of, of rights and freedoms and privileges and all of these things. I mean, it's just such a rabbit hole, mm-hmm. but wh- I can't, I can't fathom why we would want to continue to perpetuate generation after generation after generation to have to go through the same, um, you know, robotic movements of life of going with the flow, going with the crowd, trusting authorities outside of our own inner authority, and then setting our children up for a life like that. And then what do we do? Sit back and be like, well, I hope when you are in your thirties, you wake up just like I did, but good luck. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) exactly. Like, you know, we know better. So why wouldn't we do better at this point? And, you know, I have to be honest with you, like homeschooling my kids was the best decision by far that I've made in a long time. And, you know, it it has sucked to have to put everything else on the back burner. I'm with my kids 24 seven, like it's a commitment. Okay. Um, but I don't regret it. And, Right now, I have no desire to send my kids back. But on the other hand, I do feel a responsibility as somebody who feels passionately about this that I almost need to send them back so I can become part of the system myself again. So I can implement some some change, right? Or it's going to take more people like yourself and people like us to maybe create a new system. Mm -hmm. Um, Because not everybody, let's face it, not everybody can homeschool. And so, you know, I'm involved with a a lot of communities here locally where, you know, people are creating these pods and, you know, job sharing and hiring teachers and stuff. And so I see a new way coming, but... Um, at the end of the day, you know, going back to kind of like really what this conversation is rooted in, which is that like empowerment and trying to understand what is happening right now. Why are more people not awake? It's realizing that there people probably are sensing something as off, but we are a product of hundreds of years of that indoctrination, that yeah. programming, the school system. And the only way to break that cycle is to break it ourselves. So yeah. there's just 
There's so many people right now who are scared to speak out. And, you know, it's even shocking to me, even the mothers like, and Hey, I'm not like knocking anybody. I recognize everybody has their own situation, but when somebody's repeatedly saying, I don't want to send my kids to school in a mask, but like, I have no choice. Well, yeah, you do. You could, you could get them an exemption. You can speak to the principal. Like, you know, you have options that don't involve pulling your kid out completely. Right. But I was always surprised at how many mothers didn't even want to do that because mm-hmm. they don't want to ruffle feathers or they don't want to be confrontational, but it's like, but it's your child. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you have no idea what are the physical and emotional mental effects of masking your child down yeah. the road who know like mind blowing to me how many more mothers just didn't want to speak out and again like I said like I, I don't judge but I do again just go there it is that there it is, is why so many people are not like you can't even speak up for your child you're not going to be speaking out against Trudeau you're not going no, to well, you're certainly not going to be mean tweeting him that's for sure <laughs> Exactly. You know, you're not going to be screaming from the rooftops about how much you disagree about what's going on. Like you're still going to just, you know, get along to go along. You're you're bringing up such a a great point. And this is probably a a perfect place for us to to tail off here. But I do think that we need to have a whole other conversation at some point because there's a lot in here. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The frustration I have and and I, I, I share uh, your compassion for folks that we all have a different situation, a different story of, uh, you know, why people are are choosing to engage in a full-blown public fight, why some people do their, you know, pushback and fighting behind closed doors via email, close conversations, some who uh, bite their tongue until it bleeds because they're so petrified uh, that there's going to be some sort of recourse uh, and, and rightfully so we have been trained as a society that if you, if you go against the grain, you will be punished. Like I yes. guess I now guess. more than ever, by the oh way. Oh my God. It, yeah. You know, the cancel culture of 2020, in my opinion, was highly intentional of, of setting the stage for oh, this exact thing yeah. um, to make people so fearful of losing things that are very valuable to them. Um, if they choose to use their voice at the same time, while I understand all of that, Um, I also hear so many people (laughs) saying, why aren't people waking up? Why aren't people waking up? And and this is often coming from folks who aren't speaking themselves. Yeah. I think think that this is, this is a, a good point to end on that. There has to be a way for everybody to, uh, push back, whether you're advocating for your children within your school board, whether you are being a voice um, in a mom's group, whether you are being the one, the challenging person in, in your friend's group, whether you're the squawk box at the family dinner, or whether you're full-blown mouthpieces like you and I on Instagram and or Twitter. Or just sharing, Sarah, how many, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but like, I will, I ha- and I appreciate them so much. People will come into my DMs. Thank you so much for your voice. Thank you for all you do, blah, blah, blah. But then there'll be some people who like, share stuff with you and be like, can you share this? Because like, I can't share this, you know? know. And it's like, I, I, I feel for those people, but guys, it's time to it's time be a big boy or be a big girl, you know, just share it. It's okay. Like you sharing something. And if somebody comes at you, so what? I just stay strong. People, yeah, yeah. Stay strong. This is my page and I can share whatever I want. Yeah. Be rooted. Like, my word, my word of 2022 was rooted and uh, I didn't realize how freaking helpful that word would be for me this year because 
I think there's a, a, a misconception that folks that are using their voices must just be completely untouchable or people must just not mess with them and right. or they must not have consequences. And I have lost the majority of people in my life because of this fight. Yeah. 100%. Hands down. Like yeah. the, the loss has been unimaginable by choosing to step up in this way. I do it with grace and some humor um, and, and confidence, but that doesn't mean that uh, we're free and clear of the aspect that brings the loss into the mix. So no one, no one's, no one's free of that. No one's able to avoid that process. No one's able to have a guaranteed get out of jail free card. If you happen to fall into the cancel mob. Um, But it, the way that I see it is we're either either afraid of some pushback from maybe our doctor or maybe a mom's group, or maybe the the principal at school, or maybe a family member or, or a friend. We can be afraid of those things. And I completely understand why we have been trained to be afraid of these things. But the other, the thing that I choose to be more afraid of is the future that we're walking into. If we don't, if, if we don't speak up, like that is the thing that's like, no, that's the scary, that's the scary stuff here. Um, so if I have to choose between the two, which would I rather deal with? Um, and that becomes a very easy decision for me at that point. But I also believe, I love that you've made so much reference in this, in this conversation today about, about your intuition, about your gut. I want this to be an invitation for people, women specifically to reconnect to themselves because it's it's the the people who are the most connected to themselves, the most sure of themselves, and not in the sense that it means you know everything. It means you know yourself, uh, and it, you get the signs. You feel those hits, and you're like, okay, I gotta I gotta hone in on this. I want more people. If nothing else, if you don't engage in this crazy war that we're in, if nothing else, then take this as an opportunity to start flexing your own intuition again, reconnecting to yourself, understanding uh, what you're observing, giving yourself credit for what you're seeing and feeling, and then start getting more courage to take more action when you get those little hits, because that's how you, that's how you develop yourself, right? Like that's how you start to be like, whoa, okay. I'm onto something here, or I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I trusted myself to do that. Look at mm-hmm. how it turned out, whatever yes. it is. Like, this is the best time in amongst all of this chaos and carnage and scary stuff that's happening in our world. This is the best time to reconnect to ourselves and um, understand what our intuition is again, because it's been so masked by um, just being conditioned to follow what everyone else is doing. Yeah, a hundred percent. And can I just add a couple of things there too? Absolutely. Is, um, first of all, I do. Um, I did. I had so many people asking me, um, you know, about that trip that we took back in March of 2020. Like, well, why did you still go? Because we, even our family was like, are you guys crazy? You're taking <laughs> the kids in the middle of a pandemic. Like nobody was in support of us doing that, but we did it anyway. So people were like, you know, how did you do that anyway? And, and by the way, while I was there, I was sharing on my Instagram stories and the hate that I got, people were like, do you have any idea what's going on in the world right now? And you're like gallivanting in Mexico. Like it was, it was, that was, I can imagine you can imagine. And my anxiety was high at that time. Now I, those comments rub rub right off of me, but at that time, yeah, I was like, holy smokes, people really have an opinion about this. And Mm -hmm. so anyway, 
a lot of people had said to me, you know, like, what was that time like for you? Despite the fact that everybody kind of told you you shouldn't be doing that, you did it anyway. And so there was a lot of conversations around gut and intuition at that time. And so I did end up doing um, a podcast episode, which I'm trying to figure out what what episode number it is, but if I can't, what I'll do is I'll just post it to my Instagram, Sarah, and then tag oh, you in it. Maybe you can share with your listeners. Yes. Um, but it was basically talking about, you know, how do you, um, I talked about like pausing, like the power of the pause, you know, mm-hmm. stop listening to yourself. And then I've, I've done a few episodes also around just how to really tune into your intuition. So I really encourage people to listen to stuff like that because yes. it it's like anything else exercise, right? Like you got to do it regularly, think about it regularly, practice Mm -hmm. it regularly in order for it to become something that you'll attempt. Otherwise you'll never do it. Absolutely. And then my second tip that I would be remiss if I did not share this with your audience as a holistic health coach and somebody who very much cares about, you know, the, what we eat, what we what we consume emotionally, um, you know, our sleep, like all of this and how it contributes to our health. One of the things I'm really passionate about educating women about and reminding them of is your actual gut, Mm -hmm. like your gut, like from your, you know, from the time you ingest something to the time it comes out of you, that space in between there, that is where a lot of your, um, serotonin is housed. Yes. Your emotional health, your ability to stay calm in times of pressure, your ability to tune into that intuition. You know, when they say I have this feeling in my gut, that's where that comes from. So your gut health matters. Yes. And I often say to people, when if you are feeling like you're out of alignment or you feel like oh, I don't, can't really tune into my gut anymore, I don't even know what that means. Um, or if you find yourself constantly anxious or emotionally unstable, ladies, try working on healing your gut. You just made me have the biggest light bulb moment just now. This goes back to, I think, why. I didn't see it as soon as you did, because I'm thinking back to 2020, as you're talking about gut health, that was when I'm like, that was when I went on my gut healing journey. Mm, Wow. Yeah. So as you're saying this, I'm like, oh my God, I've, I've lived exactly what you're saying because uh, my gut was in rough shape when we got back to Alberta. And just like you said, lots of anxiety, um, lots of just, you know, irregulated emotions and, and depression and coming, coming back from the East coast where we were. And I thought, I, I got to get in and I, I know it's my gut. I know it's my gut. I just knew. And I had uh, some tests run and I had all these types of things off the chart. So I was working with a naturopath to, um, you know, get all the good stuff back in, get all the bad stuff out. And now that you're saying this, I'm like, I wonder that's pretty hard to ignore because yeah. that process for me uh, would have started early spring in 2020 and uh, lasted for uh, several months of you know highly focused gut work in order to kind of get myself balanced again. So I don't know. That's pretty hard for me to Sarah, do. Sarah, maybe what Canada actually needs is a gut health program. Maybe we need like a gut health department in <laughs> our, in our, in our cabinet. Awakening. We need, yeah, Sunit <laughs> needs to go there. Yeah. You can be the, uh, the cabinet minister for gut health. For gut health. Yeah. And I'll clean out Trudeau's <laughs> intestines while I'm in <laughs> 
Oh my God. I'm so glad you brought this up. My brain just exploded, but I wonder though, how many people are going to be thinking about this because what did, what did people do? What did people do when the pandemic hit? everyone started eating COVID snacks? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, we, as a society, our, our gut health is horrific. People don't it's, understand like oh. the smallest things can affect it. And that is why I, you know, when people say oh, my five-year-old has anxiety, I'm like, okay, there is some other internal health yes. issues going on there. He doesn't just, you don't just have anxiety. Um, and that's where like, I'm a big proponent of gut health as a health coach. That's kind of my first thing that I look at when somebody comes to me with any kind of issue, because at, like 90% of the time there's something going on there. Yeah. And that goes for emotions too. You know, it's not just physical. People really need to understand the body as a whole. There's still not enough people understanding how everything is connected. So yes, your gut is connected to your emotions, your depression, your anxiety, all of that. So definitely work on some massive gut healing and maybe you'll have an awakening just like Sarah did. There we go. I think we just solved everything. We, yeah. We, we did. We just solved the world problems. There we go. Perfect. I'm glad we had this conversation then. <laughs> oh, Cindy, where can people find you if they're not already following you on your platforms? Um, Sunit speaks, um, on Instagram is where I mostly hang out. That's primarily where I hang out. Um, my business is a little bit on hold right now, but I still do try to put out a podcast episode every couple of weeks. So that's the Holy Life Podcast, H-O-L-I. And if people want to get connected in with me, um, they can get on my email list at theholylife.com. If you just go to theholylife.com, you can get on my email list there. And yeah, that's, uh, those are all the places I can be found. Well, thanks for bringing us some laughter with the tweets and thanks for bringing just your intelligence and your intuition into the mix right now, because it's people like you that really do make a big difference and, and just getting people to think a little differently. Sometimes they got to get past how much, how much we annoy them in order for them to listen. But I appreciate, yeah. I appreciate your fight. I mean, you were someone that I saw in early 2020. I'm like, that woman's talking about it too. I'm like, what am I missing here? Like what is going on? So I, I, it just, it's, it's testament to um, the, the reach that our voices have when we do have the courage to use them um, because they all add up these little micro elements of people's uh, awakening. It all helps. So thank you for everything you've done. Um, and I'm excited for people to listen to this one. Me too. Thanks for having me. And um, I envision many more great conversations ahead for us. I agree. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you need support to grow or start your business online, be sure to connect with me at www.businesswithsarah.com forward slash connect or send us an email at team at businesswithsarah.com. If you love this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and leave a five-star rating on your favorite platform to help me reach more listeners. Until our next chat, be courageous and take some action. <laughs>